Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast featuring the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell. My goal is, once again, to make sure each episode gives you ideas and actionable advice you can use on your journey along the nonprofit path. This episode will dive into a critical skill of writing and how you can use it in different ways to enhance your professional development. But before we get into those details, a couple of reminders. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite hosting platform if you haven't already. And I hope you'll consider sharing this episode with someone else who is on the nonprofit path. Also, we have redesigned our website, PattonMcDowell.com, so you can get even more of the resources suggested in every episode as well as direct links to the audio files and other ways to connect. I'm excited to introduce this episode with Clay Hodges, a talented communicator, writer, and attorney who has utilized different writing rituals and routines that will get your wheels turning and hopefully inspire you to practice writing in ways that will sharpen your communication skills, but also motivate and monitor your productivity and professional development goals. Clay and I discuss four distinct writing rituals for you to consider. Number one, the effective use of journaling. Number two, writing as a means to retain and distill knowledge. Number three, writing as a means for effective planning and goal setting. And finally, number four, writing as a means to produce content. No matter where you are along the nonprofit path, writing is certainly going to be critical as a component to your communication skill set and will directly impact your acceleration along the path. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Clay Hodges. Clay, thank you for joining me on the path. Hey, Patton. It's good to be here. I'm eager to uh, get into this conversation. You and I have talked before about many of the aspects we'll discuss now, the importance of communication, some of the rituals of writing that you have uh, employed so successfully over the years. So thank you for applying your skills and experiences to the nonprofit audience that we're speaking with now. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your path, not the classic nonprofit path, but certainly an interesting one nonetheless. Well, thank you, Pat. And again, thank you for letting me be here. Um, I like to tell people that I've had uh, three careers in my life. I was a waiter, a teacher, and a lawyer. And I mentioned law, I mentioned waiter because uh, my hero in the law, Wade Smith, uh, when he hired me at his firm about 20 years ago, said that he thought waiting tables was uh, a perfect job to prepare yourself for a life of service and certainly a life of practicing law. So I always thought that was cool. And I think it is true that there is some value to what I did in my, my earliest career, but absolutely. And applicable that, to nonprofits too, I would say not to interrupt you, Clay, but I would say the kind of personal relationships you have to <laughs> uh, deploy in a very short time waiting on someone is relevant across the board. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, looking back on it, it felt, you know, at the time it might have felt like a, you know, just a, a labor type job. But I think looking back, it, it provided a lot of uh, insight into human nature and 
and what people need and, and how you need to inter- interact with them. So anyway, from there, I was a teacher. I, I taught English for several years at the community college level and um, always had an interest in law. So I went to law school at UNC Chapel Hill in the 90s, and I've been practicing law uh, for almost 20 years now. I'm a, I'm a civil litigator uh, with uh, an emphasis on product liability law, which mainly I focus on uh, defective medical devices and problem medications. So if someone's hurt from a device that may not have been clinically tested well enough and, and hurt a bunch of people, then I might step in and, and represent those individuals. So that's what I've been doing lately. Uh, again, I, I, I like the correlation between the complexity of your world and the ways you have had to research, learn, and then communicate is very similar to a lot of the nonprofit organizations with which we work. There's complexity in their service. They're trying to explain often in layman's terms, what they do so that people will support them. And it strikes me that's exactly what you have done and done successfully uh, over the years. Um, We'll talk about, in fact, I know you and I have discussed before, four types of writing skills. And the way I have labeled this episode is for nonprofit professionals, um, there are four distinct kind of writing skills and practices they need to think about and get better. And I think you've got evidence of all four of them. And and so we'll talk about it. But I guess without getting too obvious, communication and effective communication, particularly written, is, is I guess, critical to your professional success. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. And I, I didn't realize it, how, how vital writing was in the legal profession um, until I was well into my practice. I mean, everybody talks about you have to write in the law, and I knew that, and I'd always had a background in writing, but here I am almost 20 years into it, and I'm beginning to think that writing well is the single best skill set a lawyer can have, or or really any professional in in your nonprofit space. But, um, you know, I went to law school thinking that I needed to be the best public speaker I could possibly be, and there's certainly a lot of that in what I do. And it's important in what I do, but increasingly, I think writing skills can be even more important to um, a good legal practice. For example, in federal court, a, a federal judge will often review a motion on the briefs that the lawyers submit and won't even have an oral argument. You know, that hearing where you show up and you make that argument in a public setting or in the courtroom setting. So often you win or lose a motion in federal court and even sometimes in state court uh, on the briefs, as they say. And so. Makes perfect sense. We in nonprofit, Clay, often you may not get the chance to articulate your case verbally to a donor or a potential partner. Uh, And so if your messaging through written format doesn't, you know, make sense, you're never gonna have a chance to talk about it. Yeah, well, well, to that point, I think we live in a world now that is just where there's an avalanche of content and writing on the Internet, in our newspapers, uh, our phones everywhere. So I think the importance of good writing has gotten more intense because, you know, there's a there's a bunch of bad stuff out there. So if you write a good one page letter to your donors um, or I don't know what you guys do, but but it's critically important that you get your argument out quickly, 
clearly and in a comfortable way. So a donor would see it and go, yeah, I like what they're doing. Absolutely. We talk about speaking to their heart and their head. And I think effective communications written in particular appeals to both. You know, I guess as you have evaluated your skill set, I seem to recall you had a natural enthusiasm for writing early on, or was it something though that you consciously developed and, and worked on, or did you kind of feel like it was something you were built to do from your earliest writing days? That's that's a good question, Patton. I I would say that I always I've always written and I don't really know why. I guess I enjoyed it and I was drawn to it. I, d- I did not always write well and I still don't always write well. It's it's a very difficult task, but uh I think the desire was always with me. So I, I would say one part I was drawn to it, but three parts, it's been practice and effort. You know, I'm a better writer right now than I was 10 years ago and 20 years ago, but um, I still have a long way to go. So that's kind of the lifelong project that, that I'm on. You you just want to get better at it. But um, wow. I've, yeah, I've got, I've got writing from the time I was in second and third and fourth grade, and I've been writing ever since. <laughs> So even your your childhood experiences have uh, that you've built upon. I'm fascinated by, in particular, in recent years, you've had a number of kind of writing rituals, and I would say the discipline that we all should consider, because you're not going to get better if you don't practice. It goes without saying. And I think many of us, though, as you mentioned, the technology allows us to do very quick shorthand communications whether it's texting or emails and so forth through social media, but the skill, uh, the art and the science of good writing remains critical. And we'll talk about it. Um, yeah. I've looked at in, in our kind of four areas, the first of which I guess writing as a form of self-care and you have been a, a big advocate of journaling. What, tell about your journaling ritual uh, which I know is not necessarily a formal writing experience, but I still think has value. And perhaps you can share how it has been valuable for you. Oh yeah. Well, I, I've been doing it all my, not all my life, but I think I started keeping a journal in kind of a dedicated way when I was 17 and I wrote throughout college. And then I was in Europe for a year traveling and working and I kept the journal. Then um, I kept the journal through law school uh, I've kept, then I, then I go ahead. Was it a daily ritual? Talk about, yeah. What was the frequency of that? Well, it started out in college, I think attempting to be daily and it probably ended up being four or five times a week. Back in those days, it was, you know, long hand writing into notebooks. I still have those notebooks. There's about 27 of them. Wow. Um, and they're still there just kind of sitting there, but you know, over the years, uh, I wrote in law school when I could to kind of capture that experience. And then I stopped for a year, started having children getting started in my law practice. I let it go. And it, it was a mistake because I went back to it about 12 years ago and I've kept it ever since this time on a word processor, you know, on a computer, keeping a word document and uh, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages now. And, you know, it doesn't have any value probably in the whole world except to me but it's really remarkable how you can go back and see where you were in your practice, see where you were in your confidence level with, you know, uh, this 
court case or, or, or this client, um, where you were with your personal life and then to watch it evolve. And not only that, one thing I'll say in terms of writing and improving, uh, sometimes I'll read those notebooks from college and the, the writing from the first notebooks and the writing from the 27th notebook. Um, it, it's, it's remarkably different, two different people and not that it's great at the 27th, but it's much improved. And, um, you know, the journal writing can only help my writing legal memoranda, uh, writing complaints, writing documents for law, uh, letters to clients. Um, and that, and that translates not just in law, but in, in your field and whatever anybody's doing, because I really think there's not enough of an emphasis on getting your thoughts down on paper in a clear, concise way. Absolutely. So you developed, it, it is apparent technical proficiency as you have gone across this journaling episode, but it sounds like, is there, there's a therapeutic element. Is that fair to say in terms of the, you know, if someone says, well, why are you doing this clay? It's not just the technical aspects I'm guessing. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think the journal is hugely therapeutic because for one thing you can work out problems. Um, uh, if you're, if you're hung up on a, a client or a complex legal issue or, or a problem relationship, you can write it out. You can try to sort it out. Uh, you often glean insight that you didn't know you had. If you spend two, you know, if you spend two pages writing about something and then you get to the end of it and it's, um, you know, you've got it figured out. I, I, I love the story from Abraham Lincoln where, he had a desk drawer in his office full of letters that he didn't send. Right. And, and I, maybe everybody's heard this story, but you know, he'd get frustrated with the situation, write a long letter, his feelings to a Senator, to Congressman. And then he put it in the, uh, he put it in the desk. He said, tomorrow I'll send it if I still feel like it. And he, and he often never did because sometimes it's just a matter of working through your process where, you know, because often you don't need to send the letter. You just need to work out your thoughts on it. And I think I do the same thing. It's a great point. Too often we probably are guilty of sending an email before we uh, too quickly. And it, Lincoln's advice would be <laughs> you could, you can draft the email, but don't send it. Right. Uh, allow it to That's a it great out. point. And Lincoln might've been in trouble in the modern age because he didn't have access to email, but he probably would have pressed send because I've done it. But I, I agree with you. And I, and I really do. And I talk to my partners about this because we often deal with, difficult professionals like you know opposing counsel who may not be the the nicest folks in the world sometimes and 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 our partners will be talking about it and we'll say look write the email and you know don't necessarily send minimize it and then at the end of the day or tomorrow morning pull it up if you still like every word of it send it and almost invariably you never like it exactly certainly not enough to send it do your journal, do you kind of have built-in prompts or you literally just uh, go kind of stream of consciousness as you write? That's a, that's a good question. I, I, I usually I try to write on, now I try to write on the weekends. I write, you know, not five times a week, but maybe once a week and I sit down and usually I don't have a prompt, but, but it's good if I do, it's better if I do, like if I have an idea, like, boy, I want to write about that. Then when I get to the computer, I can really, you know, start writing. But I find even without a prompt, um, there was a writer I admired who said, all you have to do to write is 
sit in front of the typewriter, sit in front of the computer and just sit and you're writing. And it doesn't mean you're physically writing. You might just be sitting there getting your thoughts together. But if you dedicate the time and, and kind of protect that time and sit in front of a computer, eventually you will start writing. It's, it's just, it happens every time. So even without a prompt, I just sit there for five, 10 minutes and something happens. And, you know, as I said, it's, it's not always valuable stuff, but it gets me sometimes the first paragraph I write, I just erase. And then the second paragraph is where the, the action really starts. But, you know, either way, I think you just have to dedicate time to it. Like, I guess his point was if you went to a Barnes and Noble and opened your computer and sat in front of the computer for an hour and a half and didn't write a word, he would say you were writing. Um, and I think, and I think it's key to know what that discipline looks like. And that's, that's it because it's almost impossible not to start writing. But even if you didn't, you probably came up with some ideas that the next time you'll really start cranking out. Well, you, you nailed it. And I I do think many of the rituals that you're explaining and will explain are purely about the discipline and and not being obsessed with the final product. As you said, you're not literally in, in many cases in a journal setting, trying to produce something for anybody else other than yourself. I, I've toyed with a couple of rituals that uh, you've heard and read others doing this too, you know, affirmations, uh, trying to be intentional. I guess this falls in the morning therapy routine of writing and just simply saying things you're grateful for or positive affirmations around your goals. Um, I've had a kind of weekly ritual, uh, perhaps similar to you, but my prompt is simply, all right, what were the highs and lows of last week and what are the kind of things I'm anticipating in the week ahead. And that usually gets me off and running. If I go back through my calendar, it allows me to reflect on things, people I met with issues I was dealing with. And, um, you know, for me, that's been a helpful way and doesn't take much to get it started. Well, that's, that's a great point. I, yeah, I like that idea. I, I will say that, that similar to that, I, you asked me um, a couple of days ago, you know, some of my, my tools to, to get my head organized and things like that. And I thinking about what you just mentioned. And I wanted to tell you that um, one thing I do, and it's very similar to what you just said, but I keep lists of almost everything. Uh, for example, um, I keep a list of all the exercise I've ever done. Um, I can tell you that May 9th, 2007, I started a, a running program. Wow. And I, every run I've ever had since then. And now granted, I now I'm officially an Uber nerd <laughs> to anybody listening to this, but I'm telling you that the writing it down does a couple of things. It obviously it captures something that's, that I've done that I've accomplished like a four mile run or, or working out some way. But I think it's also, it generates future activity because I don't want to have that document empty for November um, or even yesterday. So you, you want, you want to right. kind of drive it. You want that. And that exercise document is now 94 pages long. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but, even though it's all historical document, I think it's got much for me to project into the future because, you know, it's, it's driven me to keep running, to keep exercising. And the same, I would say just my second point on lists. And this is another nerdy thing I do. 
but um, I keep a list of all the handwritten notes that I've sent. And this has a vital, this has a vital function to me because for one, you know, I don't write a lot of them, but I think they're still vital in this age of email and text and computer driven writing. I think people love to get a handwritten note. I think it's a, it's a pretty unique thing. And having the list, I can go back and see who I've approached and when, what I was talking about, what I, what I was moved to write a handwritten note about. And, uh, I think it has professional value to me to have the list. Um, and again, it's, uh, you know, if, if the, if the list gets weak for 2019, I might step up my handwritten notes, uh, through the end of the year. So I think that's, those are two ways. And I keep lists of all kinds of stuff that I won't get into, but, um, those are, those are two areas. Love that. And you address something I do want to talk about, just kind of productivity. As you know, this podcast focuses on professional development and productivity for the nonprofit community. And I'm fascinated by that kind of, so that is a standalone list of those kind of handwritten notes. Uh, is that uh, oh, yeah. kind of chart it that way? Yeah. Not to, not to get too, uh, <laughs> into granular. The, <laughs> yeah, right. granular into but yeah, I just write down the date and who it was to and what it was for, whether like a, a fellow lawyer sent me a case, a client referral, um, even if some personal happened, like someone lost a loved one or there's a birthday, uh, whatever it is. Um, but it, it allows me to, to know what, you know, what I've done and, and who I've reached out to. And, and then I can see who I neglected. Like if I've got a, a group of individuals who send me work, and I haven't reached out to them in over, you know, six months or a year, then the list tells me, and yes, I have a word document and it says handwritten notes. That's it's, fantastic. It's that, simple as that. It's a relationship management tool though. And, and again, in our nonprofit world, it is all about relationships as it is in yours, obviously as well. But I am fascinated by that. And it, it reminds me of a phrase. One of my former bosses said that, you know, what gets measured gets done. And it seems to me that your exercise routine, you don't want to break the streak, right? You kept right. track of it. So you're not going to break the streak, which keeps you healthier. Um, and it seems to me, whatever you measure, whether it's the food you're consuming or the weight you get on the scales each morning and watch, you start tracking it. Uh, it tends to get better. Um, two other ideas, Clay, I've, I've picked up on in this kind of wrapping up the writing for self-care category, but I keep track of books read and I know you're a, a prolific reader as well. And we'll talk about maybe ways to translate that knowledge, but that kind of motivates me, you know, keeping track of how many books I'm reading keeps me on a path to read more. James Altucher has an interesting kind of prompt. He is an advocate for you need to every day, write down 10 ideas, no matter how crazy they are. But it, it as he describes it's, it's exercise for the brain. And so it could be related to your personal life, your business, or it, completely random. But I have started doing that, not on a daily basis, but it is interesting that wild ideas come in your head and it's like, all right, I might as well write it down because who knows, you know, a year from now, I may look back at that and find out there was, you know, a kernel of truth to it. Well, that, that's, that's interesting. Let me ask you. So what do you do with that list? So you have your 10 from Monday and you have your 10 from Sunday. Do you go back to them? Do you discipline yourself to say once a week, I've got to read them all. Um, tell me how you get back to it and, and 
maybe make use of them? Not, not on a weekly review, but I've started doing a quarterly review and that I, cause I, these, my journal is kind of a, a mixture of these uh, weekly uh, general reviews as I've described in these pages of 10 ideas, but I'll go back, you know, every three months and just flip through them and then kind of highlight ones. One, I'll see patterns of consistency, like, wow, I've, that's, there's a variation of that idea coming through uh, five or six times. And so it, it tends to lead to, all right, maybe I need to kind of set a goal on that uh, or, or flesh it out even further. But uh, in other cases, it, it, it's back to the therapeutic value that that is totally random. It's not a good idea, but it was, it allowed me to meet the, the threshold of forcing myself to come up with 10 creative ideas. And so that's how I try to put it to use. Wow. It's, 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 that's great. I've not done that yet, but I, I like the idea. And you know, this, the truth is out of the hundred over 10 days, you might have one that's pretty good. Exactly. His, exactly his point. And the other 99 have value themselves, even, even as a intellectual exercise or, you know, just showing you where you are in a particular place in time, what you're thinking about, what your, what your priorities might be. But, um, you never know. You're going to come up with something good if you keep that up. That's exactly my theory. And so I'm glad that we can both share that with our listeners as a way. Because again, you, you, you just have a lot of stuff in your head. And I think you and I both are advocates for this kind of journaling or writing. Because too many people, I think, have stuff bouncing in their heads. And, and they're not doing anything with it except kind of stressing themselves. So the journal allows you to get stuff out of your head and onto a page. And for the good ideas, not the stressful ones, but the good ideas, who knows, it, you reflect on it a, a month or a year later and it, it proves valuable. But let's go to the, the next section, Clay. We've talked about, you know, the, the therapeutic value and self-help of writing. But the second area I think I want to explore is using writing to help you distill and acquire knowledge. You and I both are, are avid readers. Um, I've started doing kind of book reports and not in the, you know, harken back to high school in the pain of, of that kind of report. But I just charge myself now with, all right, when I just, right when I finish a book, what are three takeaways from what I just read? And, and I try to get them uh, into my journal. Um, but I wonder in your world, obviously there's a great deal of research it sounds like your previous conversations that it may not be a book report, so to speak, but you'll run across an article or just some form of content that strikes you as, Hey, I need to capture this for later. Oh yeah. I'm always looking for that because in my, um, in my uh, product liability practice, I've got a website that I write blog posts and I have for uh, four and a half years now. And I've got 226 again, I know the numbers because I keep lists, but, uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, if I'll read a long, a long piece of, uh, journalism on, uh, uh, artificial hip failure in the New York times. And then I see another piece in the post and, um, I start to read about it and I start to think about what's going on. And I often write my own blog post around, you know, that subject and what's the latest science behind it. And, um, so for me, it's got a professional, um, advantage. And so I'm always doing that with, with what I find in my, my practice area. I don't write the 
you know, a page or two summary of the books I read, you know, I'm a former English teacher. So 80% of what I read for pleasure is typically novels, uh, fiction. Um, and although I think it would be very helpful and I might actually start doing it, um, when I finish a novel, I just kind of sit there and look out the window for five minutes and then, then I move on, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's a great idea because so much is lost. Um, if you don't write it down. In fact, I think that's the theme of this whole podcast, maybe that, that, you know, so much of your life is lost, whether you read, whether you have some activity, some big event, if you're not writing it down, if you're not keeping lists, uh, so much of it goes straight out the window. Exactly right. And, and life moves too fast. And it's both, of course, for personal and professional reasons. I think we both are advocating for this and these practices um, you, you referenced earlier the importance of, of legal briefs and, and I have found similar practice in nonprofit, particularly board members who like judges that you interact with clay, they don't have time nor the interest to read extended material. Um, I had a board chair at Queens university when I worked there, Hugh McCall famously of uh, bank of America, uh, founder, uh, history. But he, he was famous for saying that, you know, if you can't tell me and explain to me this issue in less than one page, I'm not going to read it. And so I often have used that advice, even though it was not really given as advice, it was more a warning. Um, you need to be able to distill often complex issues into a single page format. But I'm sure your legal briefs are not single pages, but would you agree that there's a similar principle that you've got to explain yourself in an effective and relatively succinct way? Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, there are page limits to briefs in, in state and federal courts. And, um, and while that can be something like 35 pages or something, it sounds kind of enormous. I've had certain judges, at least one judge that says, I don't want any brief longer than 10 pages, which for, uh, a, you know, a legal issue that might have several subparts, it's really hard to do. But um, I think your point's well taken. Um, I'm reminded of that, you know, over-shared story from Samuel Taylor Coleridge where he writes a letter to his friend. He says, I'm sorry this letter is so long. If I had more time, it would have been shorter. (laughs) Um, Speaking of brevity. Yeah, so I I think he's on to something. And, you know, I absolutely think every 15-page paper can be a seven page paper. Um, right. And, and it's important that you, you've got the eye to be able to edit yourself and, and cut out the stuff because we often fall in love with our writing and it's some form of self loving where we, where we think, Oh, it's all great. Well, no, it's not all critically important. What's the essential thing. And I guess in your practice and your profession, my, my goodness, people who are, who are asked to participate financially in a, in a nonprofit, I mean, you, you probably have the, uh, a very small amount of attention that you have to capture in a short amount of time. At least I have a judge who, you know, is there to listen to me, even if I say things that are windy and, and overly long, but for you guys, you have to be, you know, laser precise and quick, or you're just going to lose their attention. You're exactly right. And and there are a lot of good causes out there. As much as we're passionate about the one for which we work or volunteer, uh, the fact is that people are, are 
are being inundated with good causes all over the place. And if we don't get to the point um, relatively quickly, we're going to lose them. And so that's what my advice to folks in the nonprofit space is you need to discipline yourself to be able to what I call just kind of memo discipline, literally the one pager concept to me is a great practice. Now, if someone wants to expand or ask you to expand, then that's great. But you should be able to tell the basic story within one page, whether that be a financial appeal or a recruitment letter to ask someone to join your board or anything like that. And that's why I'm glad you and I are, of course, on the same page that there's a broad uh, array of knowledge we're getting bombed with. Can we distill it, whether it be a book, an article, a concept? Um, And I think writing is the way to do it. Yeah, I agree. In any form of communication, but certainly what we're talking about today is writing. And I think that's, that's extremely valuable in this, this avalanche of content, uh, the better writers and the better thinkers and the, and the ones who can express themselves concisely, um, they carry the day. I mean, I'll get onto a website, a, a news media outlet. And if the opening paragraph is just too windy and not getting to it, I'll either click out of the whole article, which means I've stopped being interested in what I was initially interested in. Yep. Or, you know, I'll try to, you know, scroll down to get to what he's really talking about or she's really talking about. And so, you know, you can't even waste that opening sentence. You've got to get right to it. It's a great point. And your board members, your donors, anyone in the nonprofit space are exactly like what I think you just described. If you don't get to the point, you're going to lose them. Um, Let's move to the third phase, Clay, and this will overlap a bit and some of the writing that we've already described, but I, we've talked about you and I, the third phase of writing skill or ritual perhaps is, you know, articulating your goals. And I've read somewhere that very few people write down their goals at all. Um, and like you and I talked about putting some of our practices in writing as a means to continue. Um, do you have, what are your writing practices as it relates to goal setting or um, I don't know if you're speaking of, as we approach at the time of this recording, the end of 2019, do you use writing for any of your kind of either goal review or goal setting going forward? I will say that I, I don't do that enough uh, in an intentional way so I can, you know, really check my, progress and to, and to know what I want to do the next six months or the next year. But I think I've always had goals and I've articulated those goals to myself. Like when I first started the, the website um, about product liability law, I wanted to do uh, 75 blog posts in the first 12 months, which equates to, you know, about one and a half per week, which was, which is hard to do and practice law at the same time. Um, and so, so for me, um, I don't know if it's writing or at least just organization, but, um, you know, I've kept a list of every, um, blog post that I've written. I've kept a list of every call that I've gotten directly from the website where someone said, I read this article, uh, on this medication and I'm, I'm going through that. And, uh, so that, that's, you know, many pages long now, um, so I think in keeping, again, I think I'm a list guy. So I, in keeping a list of that kind of stuff, I'm seeing how the website's working 
and, and what I want to do, you know, I did, I haven't maintained 75 per year, but the first year I wanted to do 75 and now I try to do uh, a lesser amount, but still keep a pretty good writing pace. Um, so I, I guess that, that and, and so I have, I've also have goals about, you know, uh, clients that I might actually sign up and, and represent. Um, but yeah, I keep all, all that as part of, it. I don't know if you call that writing per se, but it's, uh, it's kind of my organizational way. Yeah. I think the way you capture progress or activity very much leads to goal setting. Obviously you have a baseline from which you can compare and you can see, you know, are you tracking on, the fitness activities you did and then, all right, do you, do you want to maintain or accelerate that for the month ahead? Your writing, your uh, blog activity and whatnot. To me, that's perfect. And I would suggest just most people don't do that. There is a vague sense they want to get better, but they really don't apply any kind of formal routine that allows them both to track what they're doing and then to get better. I think I want to, I want to say that is exactly right. I think you have the best intentions, but if you don't set up a plan and then keep adjusting the plan and keep revisiting the plan and thinking about what I, what I don't need to emphasize and what I do need to emphasize, then you're just kind of wishing for something. Exactly uh, right. uh, Yeah. It's never going to move. And I think you, you know, you you don't want to beat yourself up if you don't have a lot of activity to record in in any written format but just write something down even if it's all right i'm starting at zero but it leads you to next month i'm going to write one blog post you know or i'm going to complete one activity that moves me closer to whatever if it's a goal or just simply on a better path to me that's progress and i've seen folks and have tried myself to set up a, a routine beyond just the classic annual goal setting which you and I both will see everybody around us. New Year's resolutions uh, is a bit cliche, but I think, you know, the majority of those kind of die, die on the vine by February. But to me, if you are writing things down, one, you've got greater potential for success. And I've tried to implement, again, um, a frequency beyond just annual. Cause I just think an annual goal is something you're going to put on the back burner for 10 months anyway. But if you put it into 90 day increments, and so that's what I've tried to do is, is be intentional about a 90 day review quarterly and then have some sort of weekly ritual as you and I've talked about. Um, okay. If you, it's not top of mind, it's not going to get done, but um, it sounds like, again, you've had rituals and routines that, what for particularly when you were at a high volume uh, blog production that really kept you going. Yeah. I think those goals uh, were important. And I, and again, I hate to overemphasize my lists because they're not exactly what you're saying, but I think they're, they're very much related. I would say that my exercise list kind of started this process and it led to the handwritten note list and it led to all, all the calls I'm getting, um, you know, and it, it organized my law practice. And so I've got, you know, 19 lists, 25 lists. I don't know how many I keep now that are active, that are current. And every one of them is important to me. And I go back to it and it tells me things. So for me, not quite what you're saying, but, but that's one thing that I emphasize. And I would say to people, just 
keep a list of your exercises and I trust me, it will, it will lead to other things. You'll start to want to build on that and then build on other things uh, that, you know, how many phone calls are you making to donors? Uh, how many letters did you write? And again, I don't know your, your industry, but no, that's right on target. But, but I, I suspect that, you know, you need to keep a list and, 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 and not only that, that's a past tense thing, but then you, you know, translate that into a, a, a future thing. How many calls will I make next week? What's my goals for that? And um, I just think it's important for everybody, no matter what they do. It's, it's a perfect example. And, and you've had several that lead to our final section on, you know, ultimately getting things done. What we're talking about writing, but you're right, lists about communication to donors or sending out appeals or proposals um, simply require you to take action. And by journaling or listing or keeping track, I think absolutely leads to progress moving forward. And, and I, I guess I, I want to dive in in this kind of final section, Clay, the, the routine and ritual you had for that, uh, what you were producing a a post and a half each week. Talk about that routine. Was that a kind of an early morning effort or how did you discipline yourself while maintaining a full-time practice to write at that kind of pace? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I will say that, that I, I didn't have a, a rigid uh, plan that every Monday and every Thursday that I would write those two posts for the week or, or whatever. Um, but I, I did always write in the morning because I'm, I'm, I'm my best writer in the morning. I'm a best thinker in the morning. I'm freshest then. And writing to me is the hardest thing there is. It's just hard to do. It's hard to do it well. And you want to be at your best when you're doing it. So when I first started the website, I, I wrote maybe eight or 10 before I even launched the thing. So I had a head start. Right. And then, you know, I, I would be, I would, you know, sometimes there were deadlines. I had to practice law for three straight days and couldn't return to it. But then I would say a Friday morning, I'd have some space and I would work on that next one. And maybe it was an article because I, I do keep up with, you know, the news articles on, on this area of product liability. And so I'd see something, yeah, I want to write about that. That seems like it's emerging as a problem or emerging as an issue. And it might take me two weeks to finally write something about it. But I would, you know, just pace myself. And, and really, it was almost like the run. If I hadn't run in two or three days, I felt it in my bones. You know, yep. I, yep. I, I haven't written this week. I hadn't written a post. So it just becomes, it, to me, when I started that endeavor professionally to write content for the benefit of a public, you know, I just didn't want to fail myself and fail them. I, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it. Right. And I don't, I don't want them to come back and I haven't written something in two months. Um, so for me, I wanted, I felt a compulsion to just, when I had free time, I I got something written and then I'm noodling on it all day and really all night. If something comes on the news at six 30, um, it may be something that leads me to another blog post, you know, a month down the road. Um, that's, that's how I would do it. And, um, like I said, I'm not pacing at 75 a year anymore because that was intense, but, um, still doing quite a bit. And, and, you know, now usually when I find something, I'm always got my antenna up for some new issue, like a a big court case that resolved and it answered a few questions and the jury awarded uh, compensation. I want, I want the people who read my website to know about it. And so I write about it. Uh, But that's, that's you've had 
you've had a conscious effort, frankly, to be a thought leader in your space, which I think is a, an aspiration that any professional and for those of us in the nonprofit space, there are topics that we all are interested in, but I don't think many of us have the, the kind of routine you did and do now to pay attention to what's in the news and, and turn that into content. And so I think that's fantastic. And Clay, you've given our listeners, you know, a half dozen ideas. I hope they will, they will listen to the loud and clear message. We both are saying you got to start writing. Right. And I, I guess, is there one piece of advice, Clay, you might say to someone's like, yeah, I don't really believe in it. All right. But maybe I do now. What would you suggest to someone who is trying to become a better writer or make more of these practices real? Well, I think for 95% of the people who don't write regularly, they, they see it as most, as almost everyone sees it as, as a burden, as too difficult, as a pain. Right. And so what I, I would circle back to what I said a few minutes ago, where, you know, that, that writer who said, sit in front of the computer, you're writing now. So don't put pressure on yourself. I do think everybody should write. I do think they should improve their writing if they want to be a good professional in any area. So they have to write. And so to write, just say to yourself to get started, like my, my list of exercise, my first listed item in 2007, I think I walked on the treadmill for 15 minutes. It was a very, <laughs> very light exercise. It's all I could do. All um, right. But you know, I'm running half marathons six months later. So it, it paid off. It's faster, pays off quickly. So for people who say, I want to start writing, but it just seems like such a hassle, sit in front of the computer for 30 minutes and, and don't write even. Just sit there, but make yourself do it a few times a week uh, with a blank page, you know, your hands near the keyboard. You don't have to write, but just make yourself, you've got to sit there for 30 minutes. I would wager not one person, if they do it for a few, a couple of weeks, would, would have a blank page after two weeks. I think eventually you'll start getting it. And, and the more you do it, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, so my, my point is set, set the time, set aside that time. And even if you don't write a word, at least commit to the writing process and then, then you'll start writing and then you'll get better at it. That's fantastic. And borrowing from your running ritual, but in writing terms, you got to walk before you run. And I like your point of just giving yourself quiet time, whether or not you actually write anything at all too, uh, too often we don't find time just to sit and think. And it seems to me what you're describing would be a great thing to accomplish that as well as ultimately get writing. Um, Clay, thank you. It's fantastic. And, uh, advice on many levels. Um, uh, I'm intrigued by your targeted list making as a productivity tool. I think that is great. And and many, I think I've heard talk about one big to-do list, but I'm I'm fascinated by your advice to organize your lists in ways that I think are even more productive. We'll certainly include these ideas in the show notes um, and, and ways that people can find out more about you and your practice and, and see the, <laughs> the evidence of your great content uh, on your website and so forth. But are you, as you have heard from me, this podcast also lifts up books sometimes of usually in the professional development space, but I wonder if there are any that you might recommend that have been helpful to you or you have recommended to others. Oh, let me see. I, well, I have recommended one many times and that is uh, 10% happier by Dan Harris. Uh, oh yes. He's a, he's a, 
he's a TV uh, journalist who, um, anyway, had had some issues on the air, and it led him to meditation as a calming, you know, focusing practice for his life. And I read it because I was having some similar stress issues with the practice of law, and the stress is pretty intense in the law and in every profession. So it, it led me to meditation, and it was it was amazing. And um, I bought the book for seven or eight people. And um, I just love it. And then in, in talking about our focused attention to things, uh, uh, great book by Cal Newport, Deep Work. I, I mean, you turned me on to it months ago. I loved it. Um, it made me realize I wasn't spending enough of my day in deep work. It's always a challenge. But I think what I was talking about with sit quietly in front of a computer screen or a notepad without your phone around and you're a writer. I think Cal would agree. And I think he would say that's the beginning of your path to real deep work. Great advice. Great recommendations. I'll make sure both of them are included. 10% happier by Dan Harris. And of course, what I consider the classic deep work by Cal Newport. Clay, thank you for joining me on the path and for giving our listeners such good advice on the practice of writing. Thank you, Patton. It's been good being here. And let me say, I've, I've listened to your other episodes. Uh, I think you're well on your way. This is a great podcast idea. Well, I appreciate it, Clay. Good luck with all you've got going on. Thanks, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Clay and are considering right now the different writing routines and rituals you might add to help you along your professional development journey. All four of these elements, I think, are very important to enhancing your communication skills and are doing more than just improving your writing. So take advantage of these ideas and check out the show notes associated with this episode. And also go to patentmcdowell.com and you'll find an expanded blog post that also delves into some of these writing resources that were discussed. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the PATH podcast if you have not done so already. And thanks for considering the sharing of this and other episodes with your colleagues in the nonprofit community. Thanks again for all you're doing to support charitable organizations that are meaningful to you. Keep up the good work. And I'll look forward to seeing you next time on The Path.